0: Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Marus, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. The banking sector has always been data intensive. Today, AI technology has the capability to improve efficiencies, increase innovation, boost differentiation, manage risk and regulatory needs, and positively impact the customer experience. With more than 80% of financial services AI adopters saying that AI will be very or critically important to their future business success in the next two years, it's time for banks to move beyond the hype and consider the practical applications of AI across an entire organization. On today's show, I have M. Adam, Global AI Influencer and Founder of Deep Learn Strategies Limited. He will share why financial institutions must make the adoption of AI technologies across the entire organization a top priority and a strategic imperative. Artificial intelligence technologies are increasingly integral to the financial services industry, Banks must deploy these technologies at speed and scale to remain relevant, realizing that AI technologies are the foundation for value propositions and distinctive customer experiences. Unfortunately, despite the importance of AI, banks have continued to struggle to move from testing and experimentation to select use cases and scaling AI technologies across the organization. So welcome to the show, MTS. Before we start, could you share some insights into your background?
1: Well, thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, my background um, entails both investment banking, where I served as an executive director of Morgan Stanley, where I created and turned into a global business. their um, climate finance and renewable energy financing business, covering debt, equity, project finance, et cetera, private equity. And thereafter, i I went on to complete a master's in computer science specialized in AI, artificial intelligence, covering machine learning, deep neural networks, and even good old classical AI. So I've had quite a rounded background.
0: You know you know it's interesting. You're obviously a very avid proponent of AI. You share some of the most interesting insights on the power of AI regularly on Twitter and LinkedIn. I, I suggest that everybody tries to follow him because every week or every few days, he's sharing a major insight that really can guide your thought pattern along the power of AI. So to articulate a clear vision and to develop a roadmap for the future, why must financial institutions become AI first or AI um, involved?
1: Well, that's a great question, Jim. And what we've seen in recent events if we look back over the last two to three years, we've had this terrible pandemic. And during that period, a lot of firms that were digital, resistance, or digital resistant, I should say, um, suffered. And it was those who, who were more digitally agile and digitally prepared who fared a lot better. And we had a step change during that period when the physical world kind of stopped or, or slowed down materially. And even the older generation, for example, my mother, who'd been risk averse to using mobile banking and online uh, financial services made that transition. And now she's not going back, right? Now she's regularly using her mobile apps for banking, her online services for, for insurance and other things. And, you, and that's just one example. It, it, so the world is increasingly digital and where you get a digital footprint, AI follows. AI thrives on the data that we, we create. And the more data we create, the more we can apply AI to enhance both the customer journey and personalized services, but also to manage risk, which is what financial institutions are all about.
0: You know, it's interesting. When you look at AI, and you've been looking at it not only from the lens of the financial services industry, but really from all industries, how would you describe AI maturity right now in financial services. You know, how how well have we transformed as an industry and how well are we embracing AI and machine learning from your perspective?
1: So I think, Jim, that's, again, a great observation because we've got a real dichotomy. We've got the likes of the JP Morgans of this world where Mr. Diamond, or their CEO, has been a major proponent of that. And maybe a couple of the Canadian banks like Toronto Dominion and a few others. And then the one or two emerging fintechs who have been much more aggressive with AI and investment into AI, and in particular data, because until you get the data right, it doesn't matter what AI algorithms you're using, because it'll be garbage in, garbage out. The AI will learn garbage and give you garbage. So getting the data right, getting the data captured, the data systems right is the starting point of that journey. But we've seen, as I mentioned, the likes of JP Morgan, the likes of some of the Canadian banks and some fintechs, doing some really interesting things there but then unfortunately we've also seen some big laggards and these are typically firms that are are way behind on their on their investment into the data side as well so if one hasn't invested properly into data and data capture and if they're still running on things like cobalt and it's funny isn't it jim that um the studies out there that show banks are paying fortunes to retired COBOL developers to come out of retirement to put patches on their their, their systems because the younger generation of coders don't learn COBOL. It, you know, it's a language that they don't use anymore. Right. And yet, you know, it's it's not a sensible way to do things, is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it you can't build a brand new platform on an old foundation. I mean, it doesn't work in a house, it doesn't work in data, and it certainly doesn't work in AI. You know, in the early stages, and you referenced this earlier, in the early stages of AI development and banking, the focus was really on risk avoidance and creating efficiency for the back office. How do you see AI creating revenue? How do you see it building better models for revenue generation as opposed to cost containment?
1: Yeah, and that's a great point, Dan, and, and you're right that Um, financial institutions and not just financial institutions some other industries started with the application of AI towards risk managing risk reducing costs you know finding those operational efficiencies and that is an important part of the journey and I think for a firm that's new to AI start small learn you know learn how the technology works make it work prove its value and then scale it from there but as you point out the holy grail, if you want, or for, uh, as a good ex- a good analogy, if you like, is really taking AIT, enhancing the customer experience and generating revenue from it. And there, of course, a good proxy would be the big tech companies, the likes of your Googles, the likes of your bike dancing TikTok, the likes of your um, Microsofts who own LinkedIn, etc., who, so your social media giants, your, your Amazons and your, the big e-commerce platforms, these are firms that have applied AI very effectively to targeting uh, you know, tailored experiences to customers. I think the challenge with banking of course is that the consequences are greater and it's for, for things like banking and healthcare relative to social media and you know digital media and e-commerce. Because if you get an algorithm gives a bad result maybe because of some faulty data in the training. It recommends a shirt that you don't like, or it recommends a jeans when you want a, a, a jacket or whatever, but no one dies and there's no financial loss. And of course, when you come to financial services or healthcare, there are real world consequences. So I think I understand why there's been a degree of risk aversion, but I think the next stage now is scaling AI, getting the data right, getting it ready to really grow into these customer services. As things like the metaverse develop, the metaverse, let's say two years from now when glasses really take off as 5G scales, people are going to go for hyper-personalized AI-driven experiences, right? So, So I think the next two years are going to be really exciting where we go into this world, as you point out, where AI becomes more and more about revenue generation and creating these personalized experiences to the customer.
0: Well, it's interesting is the whole concept of revenue generation, from my perspective, is really about value transfer. It's really about if the financial institution can use AI to build better experiences, to build better recommendation engines, and can do what's being done in retail and travel and hospitality. What's Two things happen. Number one, you're meeting customer expectations because because the consumer has seen it elsewhere, they expect it from their financial institution. But just as importantly, if the bank or or credit union does this well, then the consumers can be more apt to pay more for those services, less likely to leave them. There's greater loyalty and greater revenue generation. Excuse me. So I think when we look at it in the context, you know, there's a there's a tremendous upside that even the biggest financial institutions who we've had on the show before say, you know, we're really lagging. We're not really where we need to be, especially when it comes to recommendations engines that that you can look at what a consumer has done, not just transactionally, but in the whole of their life from what you can get from the outside world. We're not really responding to that very well. You know, On the other side of that revenue generation is really looking at unrealized opportunities how can ai help in the innovation field in the help in the whole idea of both the speed and the deployment of insights for the innovation cycle
1: uh, again great insights i mean if you if you think about it jim as you're putting it uh, and where you're alluding to is that financial institutions have a lot of potential understanding of their customers they can see their customers from a 360 perspective and what do i mean by that i mean they see the totality of what their customers are spending on, so they understand what uh, you know, what where their customers want to go and spend, what major items they're buying, and they can often start correlating and understanding what they might want to be buying next or what their missing things are. So, if they can see that somebody's buying an airline ticket, have they got the right insurance in place? If they can see that somebody's getting maybe spending a bit too much. Um, You know, they could offer some kind of financial health signals to them to to make them aware of, you know, if you're carrying at this rate, you're going to go broke or be in financial distress. So there are a lot of ways that financial institutions can start using AI and predictive analytics from the AI side, forecasting the future and trying to help the customer along a journey. So that's one element. The The other thing, though, Jim, as you pointed out, is that well, for some firms right now, AI might be viewed as a nice to have a luxury. Two to three years from now, it's going to be, if you don't have it, <laughs> your yeah. customer probably won't be with you anymore. And especially, as I said, as we go into the world where the metaverse really starts to scale and take off, and, in, and the IoT, the Internet of Things, et cetera, that people are going to become more and more accustomed to that. And they're going to start demanding that level of service. And you already see it today, Jim, over the last few years in the physical stores and retail. Where the customer now doesn't want that experience in the 90s or early 2000s, which we will recall when you might have stood at a checkout for a long, long time or wait for a shop assistant to come guide you around. They, they, you've got a generation now who are really accustomed to the ease of service, of Google search, of Amazon, et cetera, who are expecting that convenience in their retail life. And increasingly, apart from the retail banking side, it's also going to grow across even the corporate banking and the capital market side, where AI has only in its infancy and making inroads. So when you go all the way across the value chain of the financial services, it's going to go right through there and really affect the, the customer interaction.
0: You know, we've talked about all these benefits of AI. Yet the deployment and the application, the building of AI and machine learning um platforms it has really not kept pace. What obstacles, from your perspective, what opt- obstacles are preventing banks from
1: deploying AI at scale? What what's getting in their way? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And if you go if you go back four or five years ago, around 2017, 2018, even 2016. I'll be honest with you, it was difficult to build these deep neural networks and large complex models. So when we look at, for example, the customer experience, some of the important areas there are things like language, natural language, and the ability to do good things with text and with voice, etc. And there were a lot of toy models out there, and they seemed exciting, but they were hard to scale when you tried to put them into big production environments. And the other thing is with natural language is that there are a lot of models out there that you can use, but they're trained on general language. But when you come to finance, you need to make them finance-specific. So, for example, a lot of the work that I did with my team, and sometimes people say, oh, you disappeared from social media for a while. What are you doing? But that's because, as you know, Jim, I'm actually working with my team building actual AI models, right, and machine learning models or deep neural networks. And... um, for example, we built something for finance where we tailored the language um, and I had to sit with the team as a domain expert in finance and we made some over 50,000 examples sitting there on the screen labelling the relations for finance-specific information. And that took two months to do, 50,000 examples, and then train the machine on that and now we've got something very bespoke and customized. We we used a, a baseline model that was trained trained on general language. And then we, without trying to get too technical, we, we did something called fine-tuning or transfer learning on a smaller data set that was specific to finance. But if I made bad errors on the inputs on the finance side, then the model was also going to learn garbage. So you had to be careful and keep on testing it again and again. So it does require working closely with bringing engineering experts in, data scientists, and finance expertise together, bringing that you know, cross-purpose team in so that there's clarity on what the objective is, what you're trying to deliver, and what data you're going to work with and what you want to, as we said, your end goal is. And then working as a team to, to, to build that. And yeah, it is hard work. It's got better from where it was four years ago, but you still have to do a bit of hard work on that. So, look, let's be realistic. At times, it is slightly painful still, but it's a lot better than it was four years ago.
0: In our research also, we see that in many cases, financial institutions lack a clear strategy as to how to I- implement a data and AI strategy. You know, just the not having a strategy is, a, is obviously a big problem. Also, obviously, without anybody doubting this, the lack of a a strong core technology and operating models that are outdated really work against you because if you can't build something from a strong foundation, again, your output, as you've mentioned a couple of times here is not going to be strong. And then, you know, on top of that, we have an inadequate talent supply. Uh, The reality is it is very difficult to find the right talent available with these things in mind. Should the majority of financial institutions, be working to engage third-party organizations to help with their data and AI strategy that can really get them up to speed quickly, but also can transform them in an agile way so that they can keep up with what's going on in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, again, um, fantastic insights. Let, let, let's start with the, the, the starting point is that it all t- starts with the top management. It all It's all about the C management. <clears throat> and culture, culture is the most powerful thing in a company. And it's often also, it can, lead, it can be fundamental to the, the successful features of an organization, but it can also be fundamental to the barriers and the barriers to change um, for an organization. So if a firm, be it a credit union, uh, a retail bank or an investment bank, is going to go down the pathway of becoming a data-driven, analytics-driven, AI-oriented company, that has to be sponsored from the very top management, from the CEO and the C team have to take the ownership and give that sponsorship through there. And they need to give their backing to that team, invest in it and grow it. But that team also needs to be integrated into with the business teams. So when you look at Gartner and, and some of the reports they've done and other leading firms out there, and I think you were alluding to this, Jim, is that where they show where AI machine learning or data science projects fail is this lack of clarity and objective. So your technical team can build something that's technically solid, but it doesn't solve any business or customer problem, because the business team and the technical team or the data science team didn't understand each other. So if you don't have that um, cross-team cohesion and collaboration, then it's gonna go wrong. So it needs to be sponsored by the C team and these teams need to work together and they must not view each other as competitors or rivals. Rather, what the business team have to view and understand, and the data science team have to also make the business team understand, is that they're there to help each other, that the data science team that are there to give tools to the business unit that, as you pointed out, could generate enhancements in marketing and customer retention and customer growth, in revenue. So but they have to understand each other. So that's the key thing. Then, as you pointed out, the talent. Invest in people. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to grow that team, nurture it, give it support, and then scale it internally. So these are important routes. Now, if you want very quick um, fixes, then if you want immediate solutions, then, yes, you are going to have to look to third-party solutions. And you probably are going to have to look to third-party firms to come in and help you. But be careful who you go for, because... Again, um, you know, a lot of people say they do AI, but when you look carefully at what they do, it isn't really AI. Um, So try to make sure that they have genuine expertise in the field and also that they understand your domain, um, which here is finance. So can they bring solutions that are gonna actually help you from the business side? So and it's probably gonna be a mixed approach whereby some solutions you will go for external parties to come in and help you, and some you'll try to build internally and and, and nurture that. But it all starts with the C team.
0: You know, it's interesting. You you while you're based in london you've really taken on a global view you're an observer of basically all regions in the world around where they are as far as ai which industries are doing the best and what's going on in the financial services industry if you're going to give a couple examples of organizations that are that you believe are financial institutions that are really doing well in the utilization of data and ai who would be a couple leaders because i get this asked all the time of me where people say okay but Who's doing this well? And I yeah. take a stab at it, but you—you're really looking at it from a, a somewhat narrow lens, looking at who's doing the best in data and AI. What are some institutions that really stand out to you?
1: So I think I think a couple of the Canadian banks have, have really made big investment. Um, They—they—they they look to get away from the COBOL infrastructure mm-hmm. to go for modern data infrastructure and to really um, try to experiment with AI. And, and, you know, have that creative element. And what they do is they create sandboxes, they create research teams, and they let them get on with the experimental side uh, and then see how they can operationalize it later. And it, so there you're looking at the likes of Toronto, Dominion, Royal Bank of Canada. I think those guys have done some really great work. So kudos to them. And then, of course, Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, has been a big, big advocate. They Look, I mean, there are rumours sometimes of cultural issues that the machine learning people sometimes get frustrated and leave. They they prefer going back to that more creative Silicon Valley mentality. But of course the bank, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, is always going to be much more tightly regulated than um, a Silicon Valley major. So you have to be aware if you are a machine learning, a data scientist expert, that if you go to someone like JP Morgan or, you know, a big Wall Street major or even a a retail bank, that the regulatory requirements and rules are going to be a lot stricter than if you're in a, you know, fast growing Silicon Valley startup or a big tech major. So that's just going to be part of the nature of the beast. So if you accept that, then you, you can understand that mentality. But at the same time, I think what the US banks and institutions, and indeed many others around the world, across Europe can do, is look at how Toronto, Dominion, Royal Bank of Canada, I think maybe the likes of one or two of the Australian banks uh, um, have also been adopting AI and trying to create a more creative environment um, where you can have the research side. Because the research side, to be honest with you, is not going to give you immediate wins. It's going to give you allow you to extend the uh, potential of AI and and see where the experimental side is, but then you can start learning from that what you can take away to operationalize. But then on the operational side, of course, and with any financial institution, and especially with the Wall Street banks, you're under huge pressure to generate returns quickly, including on the data science side. So what that means is that often people will go and grab the low-hanging fruit, but it means the more racy, dare I say, sexy, you know, exciting areas um, which need maybe a bit more time and work uh, are are perhaps going to be harder to make the investments into if you require immediate returns very quickly. So it's about being realistic and for the bank CEOs and and C-team to go, okay, you know, let's stack these up and understand. For X, that's low-hanging fruit, and we can see the return on investment coming from that fairly quickly. But for Y maybe that's going to take a couple of years to really build it up and get it to where we want it to be. And all right, we, ex- we accept that and we're going to have this tailored approach for different projects.
0: You know, so let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor to this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by M.T.I.S. Adam, one of the foremost authorities on the deployment of AI in banking. We've been discussing how financial institutions can maximize the impact of data and AI across the entire organization. So Imtiaz, in speaking with finance institutions, they're often hesitant to engage in AI modeling because they see it as security risk in sharing data. How does a company help to mitigate this risk and how do they get to feel more comfortable about the, the use of data when the development of AI solutions?
1: Yeah, no, I, again, this is a really important point, Jim. And there is a data barrier because financial services like healthcare have strict um Uh, rules on data and privacy, et cetera. So of course, again, um, the C team and the regulatory team are gonna be nervous or anxious to make sure that they're not breaching those rules. And that's been a similar barrier with healthcare. So to really scale AI, in particular machine learning and deep neural networks, you need to grow the access to the data. So how do we get around that? And I think there there are three ways. One, again, as we mentioned, getting more modern, gaining investment into more modern data systems, more modern languages, et cetera, and databases so that we can efficient understand what we have and efficiently scale it. Second is the new techniques. I don't want to get too technical here, but there's one known as federated learning with differential privacy, which I think is going to be very important in the future. And not just in banking and in healthcare, but also in things like the IOT, and the metaverse as it scales into our homes in the future and maybe you don't want mr zuckerberg not not saying he would do this but you don't necessarily want him to see everything that you might be doing when you're wearing uh, ai enabled uh augmented reality or virtual uh, glasses etc mixed reality glasses right <laughs> so uh, in your home now these techniques learn uh this technique of federated learning learns locally and never mm-hmm. removes the data and then le- goes back to updates the, 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 the technical side of the model globally, and then goes back out to everyone. So you get collaborative learning, but you manage to retain the data privacy at a, at a simplistic level. The third is called synthetic data. And synthetic data, I think, will be very big with the metaverse, because you'll be able to generate a lot of what's artificial data. But if that artificial data is good enough quality, then you can really start extending the capability of AI dramatically across financial services, and other areas like healthcare, and the autonomous driving. Uh, There's some startups now, AI startups, that are doing huge scaling uh, uh, using the metaverse and virtual reality to create a lot of new scenarios for um, autonomous vehicles and robots to get them to keep on learning dynamically new situations.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people believe that AI means replacing humans, but that's not really the case. I mean, you still need humans involved in the process. So what roles do
1: humans play in the research and operation of AI? Again, Jim, it's a very good point. Um, When you look at the first stories that I won't give the names, but some of the consulting firms are putting out in 2017, 2016, 2018, around that time, mass unemployment by 2020 (laughs) uh, uh, from AI didn't happen. We did have a a spike in employment that came from COVID, uh, but we didn't have in the physical world shutting down for a while. But it wasn't AI causing now. Many of the firms are saying, oh, well, yeah, AI will cause some job losses, but it will cause more of a net gain in jobs. So in actual fact, what it does require, though, the points you were pointing out, which is investment into skills training. And that doesn't mean you turn everyone into a coder because a lot of the opportunities will be on... You know, digital marketing, digital media, the creative side. What AI does, what machine learning does, is it allows us to crunch the data in a way that even a huge army of human analysts would struggle because we're creating so much data now with such high velocity, um, veracity, which is a different type of data and volume. You know, um, so it's very hard for humans to keep up to speed with that. Even a huge number of hum- army of humans. So the machines are very good at doing that very quickly with AI and they can find hidden patterns in the data. And then you can give it to a marketing team, a digital team, a finance team to go and action at the findings and do the targeted uh, um, interactions with the customer. So these are just a few examples of how you can get machine to human collaboration for women's scenarios. Their techniques again, I don't want to get too, too technical, but there is known as transformers. So transformers with self attention that are revolutionising AI right now, or deep neural networks, and that's why language has really extended dramatically from where it was three or four years ago, and why you're seeing big improvements in things like Google, um, you know, Google um, Translate, and, and some of the voice systems, and some of the uh, you know translation services, and indeed text analytics from where they were three or four years ago. And now, as I say, it's about making it specific to areas like finance and healthcare so that you can scale them within those areas.
0: How will AI be a differentiator for those organizations that really embrace the concept? I mean, what, what is the biggest difference that you'll be able to see between those organizations that are embraced AI and are on the front end and those that are the laggards?
1: So, Jim, you, you've already pointed that out. The world that we'll be in two to three years from now will be all about hyper-personalization, and customers are going to expect that automatically. Um, and so those who've invested into AI properly and their data systems are the ones two to three years from now they'll be off, able to offer that hyper-personalized service and customization to their customers. And while today that might seem like a luxury, <clears throat> two to three years from now is going to be a necessity so I would say it's important to invest in that journey now. And
0: finally, you're know, you you're looking at the broad sense of AI and machine learning and even getting out of the financial services because eventually it's all going to start being used similarly. What is your overall prediction as to what's going to happen with AI and machine learning in the midterm? So,
1: so in the midterm, Jim, AI, is, uh, as we pointed out, AI is going to, grow beyond social media, beyond digital media, et cetera, and e-commerce, and come into the real world sectors more and more of what I call the real world, which is financial services, which is healthcare, uh, transportation, et cetera, et cetera, and especially with the scaling of the Internet of Things. As we get more and more stand, what's called standalone 5G, and standalone 5G has been slightly delayed in, in the US, in the UK, and certain other countries, because when we had the fight with Huawei, etc, we ripped up uh, the Huawei equipment, and then we had to go for new um, 5G um, infrastructure. So that slightly delayed what's called standalone 5G, because often uh, the 5G t- over the last year or so was piggybacking a 4G infrastructure. So the real magic going to happen as we get more and more of this standalone 5G in the US and elsewhere in the UK etc and that's what's starting to happen now because that will enable um, a big transformation in device connectivity because often 4G networks are, are close to maxed out in capacity and they struggle but when you get to standalone 5G you can get this huge um, um, gain in the number of devices per, per unit per square mile per square kilometer whatever that you can add onto the network. So you can add huge number of uh, machines that communicate with each other and you get very low latency as well, unlike 4G. And that will enable things like virtual reality and augmented reality or mixed reality that struggle with 4G because of something called latency um, to work as intended with standalone 5G. So you're going to get this huge transformation. So let me give you an idea. Statista, for example, they point out that by 2025, they forecast that there'll be 75 billion internet-connected devices in this world. What does that actually mean? Well, they say now there's about 8 billion people on this planet. That's over nine internet-connected devices per person on the planet. That's huge, right? And then we talk about big data today, but in 2025 with all these devices, uh, IDC Seagate, another consulting firm, forecasts that we'll have, um, we will have um, 175 zettabytes, or 200, whichever number you believe, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that we'll be creating approximately three times more data than we did in the entirety of 2020 or approximately 2021. And one third of that is going to be data in real time. So if it's going to be real-time data like video analytics, like live streaming, like virtual reality or AR, that's going to need machine learning and AI to manage it and make sense of it. So this is going to be a world that is very analytics data driven and very much AI at the forefront. And it's coming within a few years. It's not far away. 25, 26 is only a few years, year, years away. Yeah. or are going to the blink of an eye.
0: Yeah. C- catching up. It's not going to be an easy process. You know, where it's, it's going so fast and, and it's getting harder and harder to play the game of catch up. MTI has, Thank you so much for being on the show. You know, it's been too long since we've seen each other in person. We'll do that very shortly, I promise. And uh, thank you again. I appreciate all your knowledge. And real quickly, how do people keep in touch with you or follow what you're doing?
1: So Jim, um, I, my handle on on Twitter is at DeepLearn007. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, MTS Adam. If you search under AI and or artificial intelligence or morgan stanley you should find me again thank you so much
0: and again thank you for sharing all your knowledge with us on a on a regular basis but also on the show today thanks a lot Imtia.
1: it's been a pleasure really. Uh, i really always enjoy talking to you
0: thanks for listening to banking transform winner of three international awards for podcast excellence if you enjoy what we're doing please take some time to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app in addition, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Earl Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maruz. Until next time, remember, AI is neither good nor evil. It's a tool. It's a technology for all of us to use.